Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Wow, bright-eyed. That's great. Um, It is natural for us to have the expectation in life that if we do bad things, then we will be punished for it. I mean, most of us probably experienced that at a young age. Honestly, hopefully you experienced that uh, with your, your parents, that there was some kind of consequence for disobeying them. If not at home, then maybe at school. You got sent to the principal's office. Don't raise your hand. Okay, you got sent to the principal's office, went for detention, um, or... Uh, in, in society, if we, if we take this back to the macro level, in society, there are times where people do bad enough things or serious enough things that they go to prison. That is the punishment. That is the consequence for, for them. So that's kind of the way the world works. And so it's natural to think then, we, we might extend that to God, that for, for God, it is necessary for me not to do bad things, so that he will not punish me. It's necessary for me to to toe the line so that I won't need to have consequences or punishment. And some people think this is really God's primary way of operating. This is what God does all day. So some of you are too young to remember the far side, but there's a far side. It's really hard to read again on the screen, but he's about to hit the smite button on his computer. And that's what some people's perception of God is. I mean, that God is kind of just waiting for you to mess up so that he can deal out some kind of consequence and and punishment. That's the extent to which some people's perception of God goes. And if that's the case, maybe that's the case for you this morning. Maybe, Maybe you're new to Grace Point. Maybe you're new to thinking about the Bible. Maybe that's your perception of what God is like. If you perceive God that way, it's really hard to feel like he loves you because you're, you're constantly just walking, tiptoeing on eggshells and just waiting for, well, the next time I mess up, what, what's he going to do? What if that's not all there is to the story of, of what God is like? I mean, what, what if actually doing bad things is a punishment in and of itself? What if the world that we live in, where people get mugged, People get murdered, people gossip about one another, people get lied to. What if that is actually, that experience is actually a punishment and a consequence for a sin that is more serious than any of of those? That actually turns out to be the case, which is kind of surprising for us, but what, what is good about that, that, which this is a surprise too, that it's a good thing that that turns out to be the case because it opens up the possibility of having a relationship with God that is based on something very different than fear, but actually fully based on love. 
We're going to talk about that this morning. If you take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. If you're new to Grace Point, we are studying through the book of Romans this year. And if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be really helpful if you grab one that's near you there on the seat and turn to page 1040, we're in Romans 1. We've called this series Immersed in Grace. And if you were here last Sunday and what you're gonna hear today, like you're gonna walk away saying, I don't feel very immersed. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Um, because we're in several weeks that are talking about bad news. We're talking about really how bad things are for us as humans before we get to the good news of what God has done. And I, I wanna just take this opportunity to describe for you how we're gonna approach the book of Romans this year. I had someone suggest to me a few weeks ago it might be good to kind of divide it up into sections so we can kind of wrap our heads around it a little bit more easily. So, so we're gonna divide it into four seasons, if you will, if you're used to watching something on Netflix or Amazon that comes in seasons, we're gonna divide our Roman study into four seasons with various episodes within those. And so we're gonna put those up on the screen. Um, all of Romans is about the righteousness of God being revealed but it's revealed in various ways. So season one, which is what we're in, the righteousness of God is revealed in universal condemnation. Paul is making a case that every one of us stands before God in need of forgiveness and we cannot come to him on our own. Season two, which will begin right about Easter in, in April, the righteousness of God is revealed in accessible salvation. So that is where the good news really starts to kick in and we start to find out how God, in spite of us deserving condemnation, he has provided a way for us to, to have salvation available to us. And then season three will be this summer, uh, Romans 9 to 11, we'll talk about the righteousness of God revealed in special election. That's gonna focus in on God's special role for his chosen people, Israel, and also the way God works with special election among people, calling, him, calling people into relationship with himself. So those are some of the most challenging chapters actually in, in Romans, but uh, we'll do that this summer. And then this fall, we'll talk about the righteousness of God revealed in personal transformation. So that as God is at work in each of our lives, we are actually able to, to be in the world a, a picture of his righteousness in front of the people around us. That's all the work that he is doing. So those are the four seasons we'll be going into as God ordained it. This wasn't by design, but they all fall at the beginning of a month and they all fall uh, just about in the seasons that uh, are here in nature that we're following too. So if you are interested in following that, that is all on our Romans Hub page now. That list is, is out there. We are in season one now, Romans one, and we're in the middle of a cycle that happens three times in, in this chapter where, where human beings exchange the true God for a substitute, and then God, in response, gives humans up, gives them over. We see that cycle three times. Um, we, we see it for the first time back in, in verse 23. Um, actually, I'll start in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This exchange happens 
uh, three times. And some, some people debate, like, is this a spiral downward? Is this a progression or a regression, as it were? I used to think that. I used to think, well, the, the, there's the first cycle, and then it gets worse, and then it gets even worse. I don't, I don't really think that anymore because all of the exchanges are the same. We're, what's happening in the exchanges, we're exchanging the true God for a substitute false God, an idol, and so really all three of the things that God gives people over to are just different examples of, of what happens as a result when we exchange the true God for a false God. So you can differ on that point if you want to. It's not, it's not that crucial. But I don't, I don't think it's getting worse. I think it's just three different examples. Last week, we talked about what, what happens when we exchange the true God for a, for a substitute that one of the things that God gives people up to is sexual immorality. And so we talked about sexual immorality in general for the first cycle. And then in the second cycle, we went to the specific, the specific example of sexual immorality, which is homosexuality. And, and we can just define sexual immorality as any sexual activity outside the protection of covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. And we did a conference, it was mentioned there in the prayer, we did a conference this weekend on gender and sexuality, and I was reminded that, this, that, that our sexuality is such a prime target for the enemy to distort. And it's a prime target, I think, because it's so foundational to our identity. So what we see in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, when, when this is the, account of God creating human beings. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. What's the first thing he says about them? Male and female, their sexuality, their gender. It's foundational to who we are. But here's what I wanna point out about this verse that's so crucial for, for anyone who's in this room struggling with gender identity or how your, your sexuality works out in, in your life or people that you, you care about. Here's what's so foundational here. Our sexuality is integral and crucial to our identity because it's, it's, it's the first thing that shows up as a piece of what we're created to be, but it's actually, it's actually not the first thing because there's something more foundational in the phrase before that. Do you see that? God created man in his own image. So our identity is not first and foremost in our sexuality or our gender. Our identity is first and foremost because we were created by a God who designed us. And if you are confused about your gender or your sexuality, you don't start by trying to sort through your gender or your sexuality. You start by connecting with the God who made you and cultivating your relationship with him. And then clarity will come about your sexuality and your gender. It's really crucial for, for us to see. So it's, it's no wonder that our sexuality is a target because it's foundational. It's also powerful. I mean, if you think it's mind-blowing to think that God created humans such that a male and female can come together and create life. Like that's powerful. No wonder our sexuality is under such attack by the enemy. And it always has been. That's not new. It always has been a primary target 
But it's not the only target, as we will see today. Now we're gonna move into the third cycle here in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is an ugly, ugly list. And it's important that we understand before we look at the list at all, it's important for us to understand the cause of, of all of these things. The cause is in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. See, there's the cycle that God was exchanged and now God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I wanna show you this verse in a different translation because there's a word play going on here in the Greek that isn't evident in the ESV. This is from the HCSB translation. While, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. So you see the word play going on there. Those are the both uh, related words in the Greek. And the concept is, the idea here is, I mean, ESV says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Since they didn't think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God. That, that Greek word um, is, is, means to consider worthy. It means to test something and approve it as real and valuable. It was used in the, in the Greek world of metals. So if you're gonna test gold and, and see that it is really valuable. So what Paul is saying here is, people see God who reveals himself in, in scripture, this is who I am. People see him and they say, you know what? I don't, I don't think that God is worth my getting to know. I don't think that God is worth me honoring. I mean, picture a person and, and maybe you know someone like this, maybe, maybe you are like this. Picture a person who has heard about the God of the Bible, maybe you've read the Bible, maybe you've heard sermons or you've heard somebody talk about them, and, and you say, you know, I, there's some things here that I'm just not comfortable with. I mean, I, I like the parts about God being love. I mean, that, that makes sense to me, and God created the world beautiful and everything. It makes sense to me that he would love us. I don't, I, sometimes he just seems too harsh, though. When, when I read some of these stories about judgment and wiping out cities and stuff, like, really? I mean, how does that even go together? How can God be loving but also have this, this judgment? And so when, when people see that and say, you know what, I, I'm not really comfortable with that God, one of two things happens. Either they reject the notion of God altogether, and they just say, you know what, I, I don't really think there's even anybody out there. Or, probably more common than that, they, they say, I'm not really comfortable with this God presented in Scripture, so I will just tweak it. I'll just tweak that God. I'll just reshape and remold that God so that I'm more comfortable with him, so that I think it's more like what God should be like. And, and I'm kind of using they, them kind of language, but I just wanna to say to us in the church, like we're not immune to this. 
We're, we're not immune to having a distorted picture of what God is like, which is why it's so crucial that we each spend time in scriptures ourselves, understanding what it says. I'm glad if you read commentaries, I'm glad if you read devotionals, I'm glad if you listen to sermons, but you need to read scripture for yourself and ask God for, for understanding of, of that because we can get a distorted view of God too and we can get the pieces of God that we like and, and you will encounter, you will, if you haven't already, you will encounter things about God in scripture that you, you're not gonna like. I mean, that's kind of the nature of human beings is that there are just some things about God that we don't like. But we don't get to just decide who God is. He is who he is. And any distortion of God means that we're looking at an idol. We're looking at a, a substitute. We've exchanged the true God for a substitute. And the true God's response when we do that is very clear in verse 28, when they don't see that God is worthwhile, God gave them up to a debased or a worthless mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up. We, we saw that phrase last week, if, if you weren't here. That, that phrase is a technical term for handing someone over to the police or to the courts for, for judgment and for, for punishment. So God says, this is what's a summary of what we're, we're reading here. God says, if you, if you think I'm worthless, if, if I'm not worth your time to get to know, then fine, I'll give you up to worthless thoughts, which will then lead to worthless living. To, to do, and Paul says it this way, to do what ought not to be done. That is also a, that's a term, a phrase that his listeners would have recognized from the, the Stoics of his day. And it's similar to our idea of to, to be a good citizen. So we have a concept of like what makes a good citizen and a bad citizen, right? We, we know there are some people that just, we, we don't really want them in society. We need to sequester them off. Um, but then we'll see somebody and we'll say, man, that's a good citizen. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're good to, to be in society. Paul is saying here, what God is giving people up to is a lifestyle that is not a good citizen. It's the opposite of a good citizen. It's not the kind of person you want around. And so then he launches into this very long and very ugly list of evil things and, and evil that people do. So we'll read it again. I know it's ugly, but we need the impact of it. Verse 29. So they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. In ancient literature, this was known as a vice list. And so Paul, Paul will do this uh, in several of his letters. He'll have a list of just these bad things that are an example of what people, people do. This is by far the longest of his list. It's, there's 21 things. It's just like relentless, like please make, make it stop. And some people have tried to categorize them, try to sort them out. I think that's kind of fruitless. I mean, it's really pretty random and chaotic. 
which is the nature of sin as well in the world. I will point out one thing, though, in verse 30, when it says haters of God, that's pretty unique in this whole list because most of these items in the list have to do with how we relate to each other, how human beings relate to each other, covetousness, malice, murder, envy, strife, all of that. Here's the question that I have for you after we read this list. How would you like to live in a community where this kind of behavior is is prevalent? Like that's the way most people act most of the time. How would you like to raise kids in a community where this is the way people treat each other most of the time? I mean, I, I, I dare say like that this, this list of things just looks like anarchy. And, and what we're seeing in this passage is that idolatry leads to anarchy. And, and most of us would not wanna live in a community like that. I mean, there's, it seems like there's a few people in the world that embrace the idea of anarchy and they're like, bring it on. You know, we don't trust the government anymore. We can do better ourselves. There's a few people like that, but most of us shudder because we look at this list and we think, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want a community, a society characterized like this. I mean, the, the definition of anarchy is the absence of any form of political authority or more basic than that, the absence of any cohesive principle or common standard or purpose. And so we, I think still in our society, we still agree on a few things. I think you can get most humans to agree that like murder is wrong. Like that's just wrong, you you should never murder anybody. So there's a few things like that still on the list, but the list I think is getting shorter and shorter and our society is reflecting more and more, it seems to me, of the things that are going on in this list. I mean, even if you start with murder, I was, I was gonna start by saying that's not something that we encounter very often or that we encounter up close, that's usually something far away. And then I remembered, I mean, just within the last year, horrific murder right literally in, in our backyard, so it's not that far away. Gossip and slander, would be much more prevalent. Gossip and slander are just the the conversations with people where there's no purpose, there's no positive purpose to it. It's all just to run somebody else down, to degrade another person. Malice, when, when we harbor anger, bitterness, resentment to the point where we want bad things to happen to another person. Boastfulness instead of recognizing everything I have, every ability I have, everything that comes to me is is because of God's blessing in my life. Instead of that, it's look what I have achieved. Look what I've done. Disobeying parents. There's a lot of parents in the room. I mean, I don't need to say any more about that. You know what that's like. Strife. I mean, every level of our relationships, we experience conflict and, and difficulty. So, This is a description of a community, and the surprise here is that we are not told that these things lead to God's judgment. We are told that they are the judgment. So the progression here is that humans deem God unworthy to honor as God. So God turns humans over to a worthless mind, and they enter into Anarchy. That's true for us on a personal level. 
If, if God is not the, if you're not pursuing, worshiping, centering your life around the true God, then your, your life will degrade and it will disintegrate into anarchy. Things just are not going to work because you're working against the way God designed it to work. You're working against the natural order. Um, but, but Paul's not really talking about that right now. Paul's talking about the global picture here. Remember, he's making a case for universal condemnation. So uh, he's talking about society. And another way to say this is that when we get rid of God, we get rid of good. So when we get rid of God, this is what we're left with. If you say, God says, okay, you wanna exchange me, fine, but this is what the result is going to be. It reminds me of a scene from a, a great theological documentary, uh, Jurassic Park. Many of you have, have seen that. There's a, there's a scene in there that I, I really do love where Ian Malcolm, who's played by Jeff Goldblum, he says, he says this, he says, God, God creates dinosaurs, God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man, man destroys God, man creates dinosaurs. And then you may remember Laura Dern's character chimes in and says the end of it, well, dinosaurs eat man and woman inherits the earth. So chuckle, chuckle, that, you know, that's, that's kind of funny, but there's a truth in there that's actually very consistent with what we're talking about here in Romans 1. God created a beautiful world, perfect, it was good, and then humans, the humans that he created reject him, and then they descend into anarchy. We are destroyed, humans are destroyed by what we create when we reject the creator. We destroy ourselves by what we create when we reject the creator, the true God. And so Paul bookends this terrible list with two statements of our culpability, our responsibility as humans in, in all of this. We saw one already in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they considered God worthless, God gave them up to a worthless mind to do what ought not to be done. It starts with our exchange of the true God for a false God. And then he concludes the end of this chapter in verse 32 by saying, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Which recalls something that we talked about last week, that the difference between affirming someone in their behavior and their choices that go against God's will versus calling them to align with God's will for, for their lives. So when we give approval to others who are doing that which is disobedient to the Lord, it kind of, it begs the question, this, this verse begs the question, which is worse, doing the evil thing or approving of someone who does the evil thing? And I'm, I'm not sure we need to rank them as one being worse than the other, but they both equally oppose God's purposes. I mean, doing the wrong thing is disobedient rebellion against the God who created us. Approving of doing the wrong thing affirms more people engaging in disobedient rebellion. And Paul says, this is really important, especially for those of you who may be exploring 
Christianity or maybe struggling with some things? Because one, one of the most common questions that get asked is, how can a good God allow evil in the world? Paul is answering that question for us right here. The, the answer is, God says, you don't want me? Okay, I'll step aside and this is what happens when I leave you to yourselves. Now, remember that Paul is making the case for, for universal condemnation here. So I, I wanna be clear here that not every experience of evil that has happened to you personally can be traced back to something that you did. Okay, what Paul is saying here is that there is a, a trend and a disposition in humanity to, uh, to reject God, and the result of that brings chaos and brokenness and evil into our world. So, so don't think you need to try to trace back something bad that came to you, or some, some experience that you had of, of this evil that we're talking about, malice, covetousness, murder, strife. Don't, don't try to trace that back to something that you did. That's karma. That, that's what karma believes, is that when you do something, then something will react to that and come back to you in equal, equal measure. And so you need to stop doing the bad things so that do good things, and then good things will come back to you. I think, I, I think, probably most of us would acknowledge and maybe even those who believe in karma would have to acknowledge that that doesn't always work that way and that there are people in life that do a lot of good things that bad things still happen to and vice versa. I mean, the world is just a broken place and so um, we experience that just by virtue of, of being here. That said, you and I have made our own choice to make our own God, sometimes our, ourselves. And, and you and I have not done everything on this list. I hope, I hope nobody's done everything on, on this list, but we can find ourselves in this list somewhere. And so N.T. Wright says it this way, the line between good and evil runs not between us and them, but right down the middle of each, each one of us. And so all of this leads to a coming final judgment that Paul is going to talk about later in, in the book. But for now, for now, humankind gets what it wants, freedom from God. God says, you wanna be free from me? Fine. Except for the few who will opt for the freedom of God except for those who learn what this means. The one who, by faith, is righteous shall live. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know, th this is the core message of the whole book of Romans. And I, I would just encourage you to memorize this, to begin wrapping your heads around this, because everything else we talk about um, in, in this study really flows from this concept. So take a picture of it on your phone or write it down or whatever. It's, and, and remember, it is, uh, this is not the way the ESV translates it, but it is in the footnote of the ESV. So you're memorizing this, you're memorizing scripture and God's, God's words here. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. 
not the one who by effort is righteous. That's where we get tripped up so often and we think, well, I've, I've gotta do better. That, that's a moralistic way to live. We, we set that aside because we, we can't do enough good to counter the, the mistakes, the wrong, the sin that we have done and we're just hopelessly inconsistent to follow what God gives us to do. So we need to find a way to be righteous by faith because the result of that is to live. We've been talking about these cycles where there's a human choice and then there's a consequence. There's a result of that from God. This is true in this verse. The one who by faith is righteous, the person who chooses to be righteous by faith will live. That's what God will give to you as a consequence. He'll give you life real life in, in this world, even in the midst of the brokenness. He doesn't snatch you out of the brokenness, but he says, here's how you experience what real, whole, flourishing life is like in the midst of brokenness. And then when this life is over, you get eternal life. Fantastic. Icing on the cake. But we need to know how to enter into righteousness by faith. How do, how do we do that? well, you'll have to come back because Paul doesn't deal with that in this path. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I can't, I can't week after week here leave you, uh, leave you hanging with that. Uh, so we're gonna skip ahead in Romans and I'll show you something here. Um, but this is a good time actually to encourage you to actually be reading through the whole book of Romans as we do this. We're, we're looking at some individual trees right now and some aren't very pretty. And so we need to step back. We need to be getting the whole message of the book of Romans. So put it on your phone. Uh, if you have the Bible app, play it while you're driving, uh, play it while you're running, um, or just read through the whole book. It doesn't really take that long to read through the whole book multiple times to be getting the whole message in our mind. But, but how do we enter into righteousness by faith? Here's, here's how it works. We, we have, like, hold, hold on to that slide for just a moment. We've seen three cycles. Can you take that down? Um, we've seen three cycles, thank you, um, of God giving people up to judgment and to the consequences of sin. That, that word giving up, remember it's a technical term. That word shows up again later in Romans chapter eight. Now we can put it up there. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God gave Jesus over to judgment, to condemnation, to execution. Not because he had committed idolatry, not because he had engaged in any other kind of sin, not because he had exchanged the true God for a false God, but because he was exchanging himself and he was exchanging, he was giving himself for all of the others of us who have been given over to sin. See, we exchange the true God for a substitute. The true God exchanges himself on our behalf for people who have rebelled against him and that is how we are made right, by faith. It is by believing that that is the way that we are made right by God, that what Jesus did 
is the way that we are made right by God, not by what we do. If you have any shred left in you of thinking, you know what, I'm mostly pretty good, I need Jesus to forgive a couple of sins, you need to just abandon that and just say, you know what, even all the good things that I try to do, Isaiah tells us, is like filthy rags. Even the best things you do are stained and you can't rely on them. You have to go by faith in Jesus being given up in our place as a substitute. I know that as a human being with free will, you have the ability and the option to choose to substitute the true God for a false God. But really, can you come up with any better God than would do something like that for you? Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our innate, inborn human inclination to choose to reject the true God and to follow a false God or to make ourselves our own God, just to substitute something else into that space that only rightfully belongs to you. Lord, we desperately need your forgiveness for that and then so many other things that follow from that. We are so grateful that you are a God. We, we are grateful that you are a God who is just and who is righteous because none of us wants to live forever in a community that's characterized by all the mess that we just read about. We, we want that to be done away with. We want you to, to bring us to a place with you where all of that stuff has been taken away. And you, you are able to do that because you are perfect and righteous and holy. So we're glad for that. But we're glad that you didn't stop there, that that's not all you are, but that you are also loving and kind and benevolent and grace-filled such that you would give up your own son to be a substitute for us who have substituted other gods for you. Lord, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful God you are. And I pray for the person here this morning who, who is still clinging to that picture of their, their own God that they have made in their mind. They're not sure if they can trust this God of Scripture. I pray that you'd be at work in their life, drawing them to the beauty of you so that they can escape for eternity the, the community that is characterized by all of the sin and consequence and judgment. Lord, thank you for making that available to us. We will give you praise for that forever. Thank you, Jesus, for paying it all, all the debt for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.